Good. Happy Super Bowl. Ushers go ahead come and, forward. Uh, have the ushers come forward and collect that. <laughs> Any Giants fans here? Any Patriots fans? <laughs> yeah, man. You're a commercial fan. Gee. Oh no, that's horrible. <laughs> yeah, I. It's on. Am I on here? I'm on on my end. Can't hear me? I can just talk really loud. I don't know. They'll figure it out. All right, Super Bowl. No, no, wait, wait. We're going to talk about Jesus. All right, turn with me to First John chapter 4, where we ended last week. We're going to pick up this week. And First um, John chapter 4, we're on this journey that we just started last week called the ravished heart of God. Ravished as in he's ruined for us and his heart is on fire and burning with love and, and passion and desire for us. And this is more than just a series. This is a journey that we're on as a church as we're pressing into the reality of God's love for us. Amen? And so we're going to start off here at 1 John chapter 4 and the Lord's just going to continue to kind of unfold this reality of his love to us. So let's just pray and open our hearts to the Word of God right now, to 1 John 4. So Father, we do, we open our hearts to, we ask that you would speak to us from your Word. We do ask you simply that your perfect love, that that revelation of your perfect holy love would drive out fear, would heal us, transform us to love other people. Lord, I pray that you would take us deep in this, Lord, that every heart will be open that you would speak to us personally and minister to us. I pray, give us the courage to be vulnerable to you and let you love us in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, so 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, let's start there. We're going to read uh, verse 7 to 11, and then we'll pick up in verse 17. Um, I'm not trying to leave part of the Bible out, but just for the sake of uh, kind of attention span. We're just going to read, uh, but we're going to read a number of verses. So 1 John chapter 4, starting in, or chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Here we go. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Just, just skipping down to verse 17 for the sake of time. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. So that's what the Lord is teaching us. The Lord is teaching us 
about his love. Last week we saw that God's love is a holy kind of love. Remember we learned what holy means. That holy means completely, totally other than, unique, infinitely, transcendently, completely different than us. Holy. And that God is holy. He's not like us. And that his love is a holy love. That, that it's not just like God is uh, 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 holy doesn't just mean pure, or holy doesn't just mean that, um, that like, he's holy, he's righteous, he's loving. No, holy is that umbrella term that describes all of who God is. You say God is holy, you're saying he is who he is, and that he is completely, utterly different than us. And we saw that God's love is a holy love. And here in 1 John, John calls it perfect love, right? Perfect love. That drives out fear. And what, what does he define perfect love to be? Right? He says it in this whole context. He tells you that perfect love is that God loved you first. Right? That he's the first lover. He's the first one to initiate, to pursue. He created us because he loved us. He died for us because he loves us. And how does he prove his perfect love? Or how does he demonstrate his perfect love? What is The definition of love, according to 1 John. What is the definition of love? Love, according to John, what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us in 1 John chapter 4. Love, the definition of love, is not based upon my culture, my experience. It's not based upon how your mom and dad loved you, or how my mom and dad loved me. It's It's not based upon personality. It's not based upon our culture, our family upbringing, and things like that, that that I would say that we 99.9% of the time base love on. John says, this is love. This is love. Not that we loved God. How often in our Christian walk are we trying to prove to God or ourselves or somebody that we love God? Right? I love God. I love God. I mean, I love the Lord. But, but, but John is saying here, that that is not the definition or the basis of love. That if you begin with yourself, if we begin with ourselves, if we begin with our culture, even if we begin as Christians, with our love for God, we started in the wrong place. And the Holy Spirit is revealing that perfect love is based upon the character of God. That God Himself is love. Therefore, whatever God is, however he relates, whatever he says, whatever he does, is the definition of love. And that, of course, all that he is and all that he does and all that he says and all that, how he relates to us is love. That he is loving. But we cannot define what love is by our own standards and then like superimpose that on God, which is what most of the time we do, which is what the Bible calls idolatry, painting a picture of God in our own mind which is not really God, a God made in our own image. And the Holy Spirit is is saying, not that we loved God. The definition of love is not that you're nice to somebody else or that you're merciful. The definition and the basis for love is the character, the unchanging, absolute, holy, other than character of God revealed in Christ Jesus. That Jesus Christ is the perfect revelation of God because God has demonstrated and shown and proven his love in what? That he sacrificed his only son for our sins. That is love. That is love, right? So perfect love is what? Perfect love is when God loves us on the basis not of our actions. 
Not on your character. It's not the basis of how good you are. But the love, the perfect love of God is that he loved you first. Romans 5 says that God loved you when you were a sinner, when you were dead in your sins, powerless to save yourself, wicked and far from God. God's love, God's perfect love is not based upon you, not based upon your performance. It's based upon the fact that God is love and that God chose to love you. That is perfect love, that God loved first. Perfect love. If we were to have a quiz today, A, B, C, that God loves first. And how did he love first? That he took your sin upon himself, that he, that Jesus Christ becomes the sacrifice for your sins. That means he loved you in your sin. He loved you before you ever loved him. He loved you and he sacrificed himself for you, fully giving himself. He didn't send an angel to die for you, right? He died himself. God became a human being. The word became flesh. And literally it says that Jesus bore our sin in his body because he was so personally invested in creation. So, so in love with you and I, that he would bear our sin be sacrificed for our sins so that he could have you and I and be in relationship with us. That is perfect love. And that is the only starting point for us. It's the only starting point for us. And it's that perfect love that John says will drive out fear. That fear that John is talking about is at the root of, I'd say, every or almost every issue going on in your life. And what God is saying is that, that, this, that this core or foundational or root truth about God's character, God's holy love, that that foundational reality of God's love is the cure for the foundational problem in your life. Does that make sense? You have a foundational issue of fear going on in our hearts and God's love is the foundational truth that will drive out that fear. Amen? And so he says, he says that, that we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Most Christianity... maybe the way you were raised or something, begins with a focus of our love, right? Works, fruitfulness, whatever. And it begins with, you should love God, you should love people, you should be merciful, you should give, you should be a good Christian, stop lusting, stop sinning, stop being greedy, give more, love more, pray more, read your Bible more, right? Because if you would just do more stuff for God, then you would be a better Christian. Or if you would just work harder, then you would be free and then you wouldn't have struggle with those things anymore and et cetera, et cetera, right? And so we don't really talk like that so much around here. But, but so often that's how we feel on the inside. That's what the enemy accuses to our hearts. That's the message that we pick up on or that's what we tell ourselves. Sometimes that's how we were raised. And so often we define Christianity based upon our works. Now the reality is that we... Love because he first loved us. So the, that is the ultimate 
fruit that would be produced in our life is that we would actually love and be holy as he is holy and produce fruit that brings him glory. But the reality is, is that, that our works are based upon the reality of, of who we are in Christ. Maybe you've heard this before. We'll call it our identity or maybe uh, you know, what Jesus has done for us. His word over our life. And so, and, and many of you know this, that you, know, you, you, will, um, you will do based upon your, who you are. And who you are will flow out of who you, what you, what, or what you do will flow out of who you are. And so, so much of Christianity, and, and, and like I said, maybe you're familiar with this, so much of uh, what I, even what I grew up with when I became a Christian about 16 or so years ago, was you got to know your identity. You got to know who you are in Christ. You're a child of God. You're, a, you're, you're, you're loved by God. You know, you're, you're, you're this, you're that, you're, you're the other thing. And, and, so, and so much of uh, uh, will preach to people that this is who you are in Christ. And you know, that's really good. It's absolutely true. Because the reality is that because Jesus died for your sins, you are no longer a sinner. Because you're no longer a sinner, now you can walk in righteousness. But the, and, and you are a child of God because of what Jesus has done. You've been adopted. And, and your, your effort to produce fruit for God is rooted in your identity. It's rooted in the fact that, like I said, you're, you're no longer a sinner. So therefore, you have the power to walk in righteousness. So, so your, your ability to actually do these things for God rooted in your identity before the Lord. But the problem is, is that for so much of Christianity, because that's all that they understand, then identity simply becomes positive thinking. And I'll be honest with you, even though I was taught this as a new believer, and I'm not dissing people who discipled me or anything, but because I was taught this as a new believer, and I didn't understand the foundational realities to this, then it was mostly just positive thinking. It was, yay, I'm a child of And that sounds like a really good thing. It sounds like something like I should be proud of. But the only power behind the revelation of who I am to God is who God really is. So, Another focus we give is we'll focus on the cross, his work, which is the foundation for our identity. That's pretty much as far as Christians get. Jesus died for me, so now I'm forgiven, so then I can love. And that's good. This is all good. There's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with this. And we, so we base our faith upon what God has done by dying for us and rising again and we believe that now we've been changed and transformed and so it produces fruitfulness in our life but again without a foundational reality of the love of God it undermines everything else why did he die on the cross for you what was he after and if you're a child of God what kind of father is he? And he died, but did he die for you? And you're a child of God, but I don't know. Does this mean you get promises and blessings? Or you like live in the garage? 
at the very core of everything of the Christian life is the question, who is God? And you heard me quote from a theologian named Tozer last week who said the very same thing. And that's exactly what John is talking about. God's love. Or the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God, the revelation of God's character. God's love is the foundation for this whole thing. And if this is not understood, owned, believed, if you're not rooted in the revelation of God's love, if something in your understanding of the character of God is skewed, everything else gets skewed. Everything else. And so you can sit here and say, I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God, but if you don't believe God loves you, if you don't understand how perfect and holy His love is, that He loved you first with a holy love that would sacrifice Himself for you, compromises even your understanding of your identity. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. You compromise the revelation of God's love and you end up with people who don't love like God loves and it's no longer love. And so we can say we love each other, or we can say that we love the lost, or we can say that we love our kids, but is it holy love? Is it God's love? Or is it just sentimentality? Or is it fear? So much of what we call love is really just fear. I control you because I love you. I can't say no to you because I love you. I work really, 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 really hard to please God and everyone else because I love you. Nope. It's because you're afraid. You control because you fear. And it's selfish. Fear is rooted in self. You try to people please and earn people's approval and do everything you can not to rock the boat or don't say no to them, don't say no to me because they might get mad at me because you're afraid. And that's actually selfish because it's a way to get your needs met. Well, I love people who love me. I just don't relate to that person. You enter into a crowd of people, you enter into a crowd of people, and you're like, I don't think she likes me. And you shut down. You shut down because so-and-so doesn't, she doesn't look like she likes me. Is that love? Where's that coming from? Fear. Because somebody else may not like you, it shuts you down. So what is the basis for you loving that person? It's not love. It's fear. Does God allow external circumstances to shape his emotions? No. He is who he is. 
God chooses to love because that's who he is. And his love shapes everything else. At the root of emotional brokenness in our life and dysfunction in our relationships and dysfunction in our leadership is fear. The fear of being rejected. The fear of failing. The fear of failing, so I'm not going to try. The fear of failing, so I'm going to work so hard to prove myself to everyone or to God or to that person, your dad, your mom your brother, your boss. The fear of rejection that causes you not to trust other people or self-destruct relationships. Well, I'll just blow the relationship up because it's just going to fall apart anyways. Right? This is how so much of this operates. And I guarantee that at the very root of those issues going on in your life is the revelation of God's love, your need for the revelation of God's love. See, here's how we think. We think, there we go. We think God's love is over here and my issue is over here. Yes, I have problems in my marriage. We don't really know how to communicate. Not me personally. I mean, we're doing all right. <laughs> we actually have pretty good communication skills. Uh, I have an issue. I don't know why I get depressed. I just somehow cycle into this spiral of depression. I don't know why my, our marriage is just, just, we just keep going around the same issue. We just don't know how to communicate. Well, you know, at the heart of that is you need to know God's love. Oh, no, no, no. I know God loves me. I know God loves me. I've heard that before. Grew up with that. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. No, 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 you don't understand. I, I know God loves me. I mean, I've had a breakthrough in that in my life. You know what I mean? I, I took a class on that and had a, I, no, I'm telling you, I tell other people that they need God's love. No, 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 this issue, that's a separate issue. That's not, that's not my issue. No, it's not, not God's love. No, that's not my issue. Or, or, just, or just like logistically, like, like conceptually, it's like, what? Like, what? Like if I were to say to you, like, oh yeah, no, you fear other people's rejection because you fear God's going to reject you. What? No, that doesn't make any sense. I know God loves me. It's people I'm worried about. <laughs> nope. Mm-mm. Yeah, you might be concerned about people, but the root issue is rooted in your concept of God and your relationship with God, guaranteed. No, 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 they're two separate issues. Two separate issues. No, they're not. They're absolutely not. The reality is that they're one issue, and what I want the Lord to do is connect the dots. It's like we're not very good at connecting the dots. Like your financial issue is not really a financial issue. Your emotional issues are not really an emotional issue. Your Your relational problems are not really relational problems. It's a spiritual problem. It's rooted in your relationship with God. Now, it's not the only thing. I mean, like, we got to, like, take finance classes and learn how to, like, budget. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it starts with a theology, with a revelation of the knowledge of God, who he really is. And I guarantee 
that if you had a breakthrough in your past because of the love of God, then guess what your next breakthrough is going to be from? A revelation of the love of God. I'm talking to you right now. I'm prophesying to some of you who are leaders. I'm prophesying to some of you who have, are mature believers. I'm prophesying to some of you who are like, I know God loves me. I'm telling you, you want a breakthrough, you got to go back to the beginning. That's good news, but it's also hard to hear because we have to humble ourselves and go back to the most elementary subject and hear once again how holy, how perfect his love really is. And that really is the foundational cure for the foundational problem in our life. And there are many of us The Lord wants to take us, see, as a church, I believe this is already a foundation in our church. I believe that so many of us do have an initial revelation of the love of God in our life. At least we have a seed of it. You may or may not have fruit in it, but I believe as a church we have a basic seed of an understanding that God loves me with unconditional perfect love. It's like, cool, righteous God in Christ Jesus. It's a good seed to have, isn't it? But I think there's not much fruit yet. That might have sounded too negative, but I'm not really trying to be that. We love because he first loved us. You want more love for God? You want more love for people? Focus on his love for you. If we are going to be a people of abandoned worship, extravagant giving, if we're going to see emotional wholeness in our own lives, deep rest, confidence in our identity in Christ and our calling, it's going to come from being rooted and grounded in the love of God. If we as a people, individually or corporately, want to go higher, you have to go deeper. And it's going to start right there with the love of God. Amen? Like, I think you're just taking it all in, huh? So, if we're going to love the lost with compassion, if we're going to be sacrificial people, it's going to mean gorging our hearts on the love of God till it overflows to other people. Because we love because he first loved us. We have to press in at the foundation. If there is a crack, if there is something broken down in this, it needs to get fixed or it's going to set everything else amiss. And many of us have some areas that are messed up. But I'm not talking necessarily about that. That's not what the Lord has been speaking to me about. It's not what the Lord's been dealing with me on. I'm sure there's some areas I need to deal with. What the Lord's talking to me about and what I believe that this journey that we're going to go on is about going deeper. Because as we press into who he is, we're going to become people who love like he loves. But see, what it's so interesting though, according to 1 John, don't you find it interesting that the very thing that love wants to drive out is, is the very thing that keeps us from receiving God's love? Perfect love drives out fear. But if there is fear there, then you're not made perfect in love because fear involves torment, right? 
Fear involves torment, meaning, one, that it, when it's in your life, you don't like it, right? Like anxiety, worry, negative thoughts, condemning, accusing, thought, shame, condemnation, conflict, unhealthy conflict that's in relationship, causing lack of peace. Good conflict can lead to intimacy, but unhealthy conflict that just creates cycles of just bitterness and things like that, unresolved issues. That's torment, right? But also, fear involves torment because you're always afraid. And so I cannot be intimate with somebody I don't trust. And so if I don't trust this person, if I don't trust God's perfect, absolute love, I always hold God out at arm's length. Never really sure if the other shoe's going to drop or not. Never really sure if I'm really at home in the heart of God or not. But in any given relationship, same thing, right? Fear involves torment. And that fear is the very thing that hinders us from receiving God's love. And yet his love is the very thing that will drive out that fear, causing us to receive his love and love other people. See, what I, what I believe the Lord's going to do is, you know, just trying to draw it out a little bit here. Like, here's God's love and that he wants to, or like God's, we could just say like God's heart. God, God wants to impact our heart with his love, right? This is ours. God, us. That God wants to impact our hearts with his love, with the reality of who he is. In a sense, his heart impacting our heart. And he wants to take us deep in this. How does God feel about you? God wants us to understand the holy emotions of his heart, his love, his burning love. That he wants to impact our hearts with this. And when his love impacts our hearts, whatever darkness is in our hearts gets driven out by the light of that love. And what happens is our heart becomes so filled with his love that it heals our hearts and transforms our hearts. And two things naturally happen. One, we respond back to God in love. And we love God with his love. Not with our love. Not with a selfish, manipulative love. Not with an idolatrous love. But with his love. That's, that's actually Christ's inheritance, to love God with the love with which he's loved us. To give him fully what he deserves. To love him like he's loved us. It takes God's love to cause us to love God in this way and break idolatry in our hearts. The second thing that naturally happens is we love other people. And again, we begin to love other people like he loves us. And we become a conduit because our hearts are so gorged and overflowing with love, we have an abundance to give away because that's how everything works in the kingdom, right? And it overflows from our hearts to other people. And you find yourself not having to force yourself to love or serve or think about others first. You find yourself doing it naturally. So when you gorge your heart on the love of God, I'll show you some scriptures of this another time. When you gorge your heart on the love of God, you become so satisfied on the inside 
You become so strengthened on the inside with his delight and his pleasure and his love for you. Sin loses its power over you. Everyone else can be tempted. And you can be like, "Eh, nice try. I got something better. But you have to have that love burning on the inside of you. It can't just be a theory. It can't just be a seed. You have to cultivate it until it grows into fruit. It has to be the very foundation or soil of your life in which the roots of your life go deep in the soil of God's love. It's, when you're in a fight with your spouse, you're on autopilot, huh? So the only way is to change the operating system. See, the knowledge of God is your worldview. It is your paradigm. Theology is the way you view yourself and your world is the lens through which you view everything. It is your operating system. And most of us have an operating system fear, 3.0, right? Or maybe we have, you know, a little bit of love of God that's been infected by viruses or something like that. We need the Lord to purify and drive out that fear like light drives out darkness. So that our operating system is the love of God. So that when somebody says something mean to you, or your spouse and you have a conflict, autopilot is 1 John chapter 4. And it's not what you're used to. The love of God produces so much confidence in you. Did you see that in 1 John? He said that this, this is what perfect love does. It causes us to be confident Can you imagine that? Can you imagine your life without anxiety or worry or fear? Could you imagine your life without shame or condemnation? I mean literally zero. 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 Can you imagine going through your life and it doesn't matter who's messed up or who's messing up or what your kids are doing or what they're not doing or what your spouse is doing or not doing or what your church is doing or not doing and you are just like, I'm so loved and I love him and I love people. Can you imagine living in that place of confidence when God says, I want you to do the impossible and you're like, okay, because you said it. You can't lie. Can you imagine when people oppose you and say it can't be done or they, then they start telling you to focus on your inabilities god might have said it but look at yourself dave look at you come on now a lot of lack going on right there no he said it he loves me can you imagine that kind of confidence that negative negative accusations from the enemy shame condemnation lust greed uh, uh pride people around you are just crazy and they're trying to push your buttons this thing doesn't work it's out of order. You just put a sign right there, out of order. Out of order. Can you imagine living your life literally with the fruit of the Spirit on the inside? Love, joy, second fruit of the Spirit, joy. Can you imagine that? Joy. Can you imagine like no more negative feelings and negative thoughts that drain you and depress you and make you just want to sleep? Can you imagine the freedom that you would have I'm telling you, that's what the love of God does. So satisfies you on the inside that his pleasures are more powerful than any of the pleasures. So convinces you on the inside 
that you are his, nothing else matters. Burn my body. I'm going to get a better one. I'm serious. It's the only reason why anyone would do it. It's the only reason why somebody would risk their life in ministry to serve the Lord. I'm telling you, I I know most people hide from their calling and hide from the ministry that God has called them to because they're afraid. It takes confidence on the inside from the revelation of God's love. It takes the revelation of God's holy love to break our excuses and our hiding and our blaming. Things like, well, I'm going to pass by the poor homeless person because, you know, they're just going to spend it on alcohol. It takes something bigger to convince us of what God wants us to do. Not because I feel like I'm guilty or because I have to, but because he loves Why do people not deal with their issues? Why do people stay in the addiction? Why do people not press into the Lord? Why do people just kind of busy themselves and distract themselves with lots of things to do? Why? Because they're trying to avoid the pain of dealing with that issue, right? It's scary, isn't it? It's painful sometimes to deal with some past issue we haven't dealt with, some hurt that somebody inflicted on us, some issue of bitterness that's still residing inside of us. It's scary. It's fear. See, think of it like the vine and the branches, right? Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. Vine. Vine. Right? There's the vine. There's his heart. Life flowing in the vine, right? Resurrection, power, love, eternal quality of life, all the joy and the peace of God, self-control, strength on the inside to say no to the things that are no, yes to the things that are yes, taking responsibility for my emotions, my life, loving and serving other people out of love and not fear, guilt, shame, or whatever else motivates, right? What would it look like to be motivated by Something other than guilt. Wouldn't that be great? Life flowing in the vine. How is that life and that the heart of God going to flow into you? First, you have to be connected, right? Jesus says, abide. He says, unless you abide in the vine, you can do nothing. Right? Connection, dependence, surrender to the Lordship of Jesus is absolutely essential. Trust. Yes? To trust him and to be connected to him in intimate relationship. To spend time with him. And yet what's going on is so often in our hearts there's this block. The Bible calls that strongholds. You can look it up in 2 Corinthians 10. Strongholds, walls. That they're called arguments, lies. The scriptures say it this way. There are arguments that exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. Funny that they would exalt themselves above the number one thing. Hosea chapter 4, my people perish for lack of knowledge. 
These lies, these accusations, these arguments, these deceptions, they exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. What is the gospel? You know what the gospel is? The gospel is the revelation of who God is in Christ. That's what the gospel, we preach the gospel. Jesus died for you, he loves you. All we're doing is we're declaring who God is. Do you know every time I preach and I talk to you about the promise of God, you say, why does, God, why does Dave talk about finances? Man, God wants to provide for you in abundance. Well, I talk about it because it's a promise in the word of God, amen? Every promise I declare to you is a revelation of God's character. I'm simply preaching the gospel to you and revealing to you who God is. And when we miss that, we miss the whole thing. These strongholds are fear rooted in self. And they literally keep the truth out and the lie in. And they keep the good out and, and, and the bad in. They keep that stuff in. And right at that point is the hardest thing, right, to let go, to deal with that, to be honest, to be vulnerable, to, to say, yes, I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that or to actually face the anxiety, to face the control issues that you have, to face the fear of failure that you have. It's painful. It's scary, isn't it? And I want to end, I want to end with this. You can turn in your Bibles there if you want. But I want to end with, with Matthew 16. I have a, just a word for you today to end with. It's a pretty simple word, and then we'll be done. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you realize... uh, that in verse 25, you're going to lose either way. Do you see that? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That Take up your ow, okay? Take up your ow, I died to myself, right? Whoever desires to save his life on the front end this side of eternity, or just on this side of your problem, you lose. Whatever you are trying to hold on to, you lose out. But if you will lose your life on this side of eternity, or on this side of your problem, you gain life. You win. Either way, you lose something. But only one way you gain life. Right? Let, let me just say it this way. Choose your pain. I think a lot of life boils down to that phrase right there. Choose your pain. Choose your death is what Jesus is saying. You have one way to die, or you have two ways to die. Choose one. My way. Or your way. Your way could lead to eternal separation from God, right? Or it could just lead to the destruction, even in a temporal sense, of what's going on in your life. My way 
you will gain life. Okay? What am I saying? Choose your pain. Choose your pain. You can choose to exercise today and, and your heart will feel like it's going to explode out of your chest because you're out of shape and your muscles will burn and, and, and fight you and you'll wake up the next morning going like, oh, and you can, and you can, you can, you can choose to work out today and, and overcome the, the, the motivation issue, like I don't really want to wake up, uh, and overcome the inertia issue, right? Everything in life is an issue of inertia. That stuff is stuck like a heart clog right there, Okay. Stuck. Just like we've been talking about, getting unstuck and moving forward. The hardest part is inertia. Once you have momentum, you're good to go, right? You can choose the pain of overcoming inertia today. You can choose the pain of stretching your muscles today. You can choose the pain of that today. Or you can choose the pain of being out of shape tomorrow. Yes? Is that, is that fair? Right? You can choose the pain of growing old quicker. Having physical problems, aches, pains, whatever, because you didn't cultivate your health. You can choose the pain of saying no to particular types of food now, or you can suffer the loss of whatever it has affected later down the road. I know you might be like, Dane, you're being kind of mean. You can choose to say no to extravagant spending now and cut, cut, cut and be simple now or you will be forced from the outside to cut, cut, cut because now you're spending more money on debt because you decided not to say no on the front end. Do you see what I'm saying? Choose your pain. Do you see that's what life is about? And why would we think that the spiritual realm is any different? In fact, Jesus says it's absolutely an eternal issue. Like you choose to die to yourself and to the allegiance to yourself and allegiance to this world order and you choose to follow Jesus Christ as Lord now and die to yourself and die to those things, you will gain eternal life and experience the eternal life of God and the blessings and the promises of God flowing in you and through you and the joy of seeing people's lives changed because you're partnering with God. Or you can hold on to your issues and hold on to your life and suffer later. Choose your pain. H- how's that anxiety working? How's that depression working, right? How much fun is it to have those thoughts just going through your head all the time, just beating you up? How is that? How is that? You like that? Choose your pain. Because this, I'm telling you, the same person who, who, is, who is day in and day out struggles with those things and maybe copes with it through addictions or maybe just they're just whatever, whatever, whatever. And I'm not, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not beating anyone up. The same person who says that is the same person who when you say, the love of God, they don't want to deal with their issues. They say, hey, I'm forgiven. Why do I need to deal with that? And they'll keep the healing at arm's length. But I hate the situation I'm in. Well, then do something about it because the answer has come. The cure has come. The revelation of God in Christ Jesus, his love, and all you need to do, we'll figure out how to do this. We're going to go deep in the love of God. We're going to figure out how to just open up our hearts and let him love us. You need to let him love you. Take the risk 
and choose the pain. Because what happens when perfect love impacts your heart that has fear? It can hurt. It can be scary. Because you have to confess where you've had lies about God. And you have to be vulnerable where you have hurts and pains. And you have to let God touch that spot. You have to let the physician heal you. And it hurts. And many run away or hide or just busy themselves. But the courageous deny themselves and take up their cross. And let the love of God so heal them, they choose the pain on the front end and they experience the joy and the peace and the rest and the confidence and the wholeness in their relationships. So you can choose to say, I can't deal with my problems in my marriage. And you can avoid the pain on the front end, and yet all the while, it's festering and getting worse. Isn't it? Choose your pain. Clint, come on up. What God wants to do is His perfect love wants to drive out fear. It has to confront that fear. And what God is going to do is cause His love to heal our hearts and cause us to love Him and love others like He loves. Clint, just 